guys are barrels of fun. And then I just went like total like George Brett pine tar. This is section 422. On the Welcome to the Section 422 Podcast, episode number 57. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we're going to discuss the Brewers' offseason. There were a lot of changes to the 25-man roster, which is now at least a 26-man roster in 2020. The possibility of that growing is still hanging there as Major League Baseball tries to figure out what the season might look like this year. Uh, so we'll examine the expected roles for the newcomers, and uh, you know, we're kind of looking at this as maybe mid-January on a typical baseball calendar where it feels like here we are in early May. We're still a few weeks away from anything that resembles spring training, so we're probably about two months away before we get to something that could resemble opening day, but kind of a good time to push reset and look at some of the moves that David Stearns and company made over the winter months. We'll also touch on the Brewers' ticket policy for games that were scheduled for March and April, and we'll briefly discuss the beginning of the Korean baseball organization season that to opening day occurs on Tuesday. So we'll get you some information about where you can watch those games and some familiar faces that you might see if you decide to tune into those games. Uh, Will, before we get started, how's it going for you on this Monday? Doing pretty well, other than battling some allergies. Yep, that's the uh, the beauty of Wisconsin. As the, the weather gets nice and everything blooms, if you have seasonal allergies, those kind of hit you with that first wave of nice weather. But at least things are a lot more comfortable outside in the last couple of weeks. It's really lifted my mood uh, as we kind of remain in this mostly stay-at-home situation. I haven't really changed my routine in the last couple of weeks. Uh, kind of doing the usual, like, stay in all week, go get groceries one day a week, and that's pretty much it, but hopefully we are tracking towards some some normalcy here in the weeks ahead. Uh, if this were a normal season, today would mark the start of a four-game series in Miami against the Marlins. It'd be part of a 20-game stretch over 20 days, so a very busy part of the season for the Brewers if things were on track. Uh, and with it being May 4th, we'd probably have a lot of scoreboard graphics this week. We'd see Christian Yelich holding a lightsaber. We'd see... Jed Jerko morphed into Chewbacca. We'd see all those types of things because uh, Star Wars night, of course, has become a, a kind of an automatic calendar night on the Major League schedule in recent years. But, Will, this is a team that has made the playoffs in back-to-back seasons and despite that, went through quite a bit of change during the offseason. Yasmani Grandal, Mike Moustakis are gone. Eric Thames, Chase Anderson, it's a long list. And and replacing those players and getting some upgrades in place potentially was a pretty big undertaking for the Brewers. We didn't know at the beginning of this offseason that Christian Yelich was going to be extended. Um, We look at this overall picture now of what David Stearns and his front office team have put together, and it makes more sense as a complete picture than it did while each individual puzzle piece sort of fell into place over the course of November and December and January. Yeah, I completely agree. When you look at the context of the Yelich deal and you say to yourself, okay, these were the guys that they added. They're looking at this from like a one to two year window, reevaluating, I guess, after that, see where they're at with certain guys, building a lot of sort of what they refer to as redundancies. So they're building some depth 
as opposed to getting just that one marquee guy to fill a spot. So it's definitely an alternative approach here with the Brewers that Brewers fans are pretty accustomed to at this point with David Stearns leading the way with the front office. But man, I like the topic for today as far as the biggest discussion that we'll have in discussing the new guys on the team because there certainly are a lot of them. It's kind of just a cool thing to sort of revisit and to analyze because yeah, we don't know when the season's going to start. We don't know how long the season will be, but it just reminds me that, hey, there there is a team that we kind of cover on this show, you know? <laughs> um, and, and I think people just are, I don't know, sort of itching for anything just on the actual player sometimes. Yeah, I, I tweeted yesterday. I just asked a broad question to my followers. I just said, you know, when you miss baseball the most, what is helping you? Is it podcasts? Is it old games? Is it board games? Is it blank? And a lot of people came back with reading, uh, running, simulations, you know, different things for everybody, video games like MLB The Show. Um, everyone's kind of got something different filling that void, but there were still a few people who said, I still miss listening to games more than anything else. It's even doing things like yard work and not having a game on. For me, I take my dog to the park every day. Usually this time of year, I'm listening to part of a game while I'm there. You know, It's just one of those soundtracks to my life sort of things that's currently missing and uh, I think talking about players maybe will help us get back into the swing of things just a little bit so what we did for this show uh, we took a look at the 11 players who are currently on the active roster so we're not including Mark Mathias and Ryan Healy uh, Logan Morrison some guys that could end up sticking around when the season begins if things break the right way if rosters are the right size we're focusing on guys who ended up with big league deals or who were acquired as part of trades that were made during the offseason will and i ranked 11 players and we ranked them from most impactful to least impactful and then i combined our rankings to get an aggregate Uh, so we're going to go from most important to least important which is not at all to spoiler alert uh suggest that David Phelps is not important at all, but just he is relatively less important to the success of the 2020 Brewers than everybody else on the list. So let's start with Avisail Garcia. He was number one on my list. I believe he was number three on your list. So that put him atop our combined list. And the more I've thought about this, Will, Garcia is perhaps one of the better off-season free agent value signings when you look at the fact that he costs less than Mike Moustakis. And there may be some reasons to believe that he'll either exceed or possibly match the production that Moustakis brings as a hitter. Now, I realize these are guys who play different positions, so comparing an outfielder to a third baseman, it's not really what we're doing here. It's kind of looking at this and saying, is Garcia a good enough offensive player to fill some of the void or all of the void, or even more than the void created by Moustakis' departure? He should be pretty close to it in the worst-case scenario, I would imagine, just based on the season that he put together last year with the Rays. Just It struck, it really struck a chord with me, and maybe that was because I was living in Florida and I found myself watching the Rays a lot more, but I like his game a lot. I've been a fan of his for a long time, really since he came up with the Tigers, and he 
received so many comparisons, of course, to to Miguel Cabrera. Um, but I mean, like that, I've discussed that with him actually a little bit, and that does take its toll on you after a while when you're 21, 22, and you're just coming up. So he didn't quite live up to that those expectations there in Detroit. Never really materialized, and it took him a little while to get going. He's now in his late 20s, uh, approaching his age 29 season whenever that occurs i guess (laughs) but i just like that he brings a little bit of everything to the table he's a guy who has some power he could he could run that's an underrated part of his game is i i think he could steal i depending on the season of course the length of it i think he could steal you 10 to 15 bags and he could he could get on base for you hit hit for the high average make contact I don't know, man. I, there's a lot to like with his profile, his hitter profile, not to mention that his defense really plays, and he could play all three outfield positions. So there's a lot to like there. He's a guy that I kind of probably could have put as my number one as far as most impactful goes to, uh, but he's definitely in the top one through three no matter where you go with it. I think I'd just kind of place him a notch below a couple of other guys just because of the depth there, because you do have Braun as sort of like your foil in the outfield. Um, and of course, you have Yelich and Kane at the other two spots. It goes without saying. But man, there's a lot to like. There's a reason they signed him um, is because they think that they can get the best years that he has left out of him. The fact they want him around for a few seasons goes a really long way. And I think you're dead on, though. That speed is kind of a sneaky thing that he brings to the table this is a guy who's listed at 6'4 250 and the baby miggy comps that nickname that as much i think just comes from physical resemblance to miguel cabrera especially when he was younger uh than it was maybe to his you know core skills as a player but that is a tough comp to live up to and and even if it is more of just a hey he kind of looks like miggy suddenly he's kind of the guy that expects to hit like miggy one day but he's become a, a really good player in his own right, and again, I think you're looking at someone who could actually be pretty comparable to Mustakis with the bat, with the versatility of playing even center field if needed, handling both outfield corners effectively, and uh, really reduces the impact on on guys like Braun and Kane in terms of not having to play those guys every single day. Braun was already kind of in that semi-regular, almost full-time role already. Kane kind of gutted it out last year through multiple stretches we could tell he was playing hurt and you know i think having a guy like garcia on the roster maybe opens up the possibility of more occasional days off for kane even though there's going to be a drop from kane to anybody in center field but just having a more capable center fielder who uh, isn't isn't really a downgrade at all with the bat is a nice thing to have so garcia tops our list but omar narvaez comes in as the second most important member of the Brewers acquired this offseason. Narvaez is a bit of a mystery to a lot of people. And at the time that he was acquired, I wrote a piece for The Athletic about him. I look at him as probably a solid big side platoon option with Manny Pena. I don't think it's impossible that Narvaez plays a little bit against lefties, but with Pena being a righty, Narvaez being a lefty, that kind of seems like a natural fit. Defensively, there are a lot of questions. As far as pitch framing goes, Narvaez consistently has graded out as one of the worst in the big leagues for the last three seasons now. But as far as hitters go, 
if you were looking for anybody in the league who was available via trade or in free agency who could come close to the offensive production of Yasmani Grandal, Narvaez was probably the closest possible fit you could get of players who were actually available. Yeah, and he sort of has to come close to that and be that sort of hitter for them, in my opinion at least, for the Brewers to to really, I guess, be the team that they want to be and be in that hunt for the playoffs. I mean, Narvaez has to. That's why I, I put Narvaez as my number one just because yeah, I, I like Manny Pino a lot, but I just feel like with Narvaez, he has to be, he has to live up to, I guess, like what his fullest potential is. Like when you look at the sort of, okay, he he could do this. This is your best case scenario, worst case scenario, and sort of that that one in the middle. He has to be in the one in the middle to the one at the top, in my opinion, for the Brewers to really have a, the season that people want them to have, or that they could have, that they have the potential to have. So I, I feel like the way that he goes, he's one of those guys that how he goes is how the Brewers go, and he's in that tier of guys. There aren't too many of them, but he, he's that sort of difference maker one way or the other. I'm not saying he's the greatest thing or that he will come close to Grandal, but for me at least, he has to be in that group that, that performs probably in line with what he was able to do last season when he hit over 20 home runs, when he had a you know plus 350 on base percentage. Offensively, he has to live up to what his profile indicates over the years because, I mean, the guy's at 20, 28 years old. This is going to be his third big league team after playing for the White Sox Mariners. So defensively, I know he's getting better, but after a while, it just becomes, okay, I guess this is who he is. Um, now, you got to give the Brewers the opportunity to work with him and to see what kind of improvements that they can make, but they're not the first team to to pick him up and say that we're going to make him better or he's going to improve with us defensively. So that remains to be seen. I'm not as optimistic about that just because, again, although he has shown some improvements, it's not as if this guy just started playing ball, you know, in the big leagues just last year or the year before. This is going to be, like I said, his, his his age 28 season. So defensively, yeah, there's some room there where he could gross, but I'm not sure if he if he gets there in time for 2020, and that's the lens through we're sort of viewing this through. Right, and I think there are some people who also look at Narvaez and say his underlying numbers uh, with his offensive profile, his stat cast numbers, don't really jump out. Low exit velocities, uh, in particular, are one thing people are going to say, hey, maybe that power we saw last year wasn't real. And my counter-argument to that uh, is something I did illustrate in the piece back in December, is that Narvaez seems to have this this kind of hidden skill, I guess we'll call it, where he can go the opposite way and kind of shorten up and you know flare pitches that are outside for him as a left-handed hitter over the left side of the infield and their low exit velocity hits because he's not hitting line drives, he's kind of changing his approach and he's done this for for multiple seasons. You know, it's just kind of a a, a weird thing that maybe it's noise, but it kind of looks like part of the reason why the stat cast numbers aren't so good is because he has this approach that makes it pretty difficult for teams to get him out because you know he's got heavy pull power, but if he's pitched outside, he can still go with those pitches and put the ball in play. So 
a very interesting player, a very important player, and the cascading effect, of course, you know, if he replaces Grandel's offense, but uh, maybe hurts the pitching staff with his pitch framing, that's something that needs to be accounted for. But the other caveat, too, of the Narvaez acquisition, Will, when the Brewers won the division in 2018, it was Manny Pena and Eric Kratz. It was really kind of a, a pretty big rotation in that backup spot, especially like the, the Grandal acquisition in 2019 was always kind of a bonus. It was an unexpected one year gift, if you will, uh, having a player that good being willing to take a one year deal in hopes of getting a longer term deal in the future. And if they'd never signed Grandal, I think the expectations from the catcher position would be much lower today and more in line with where they were two years ago. Right. Yeah, that's a great point because I'm not sure. It's hard to compare him to somebody who he's not. He's not. He's not Grandal. I'm not sure. He probably never will be. So, they're two different players, and I, I'm not sure how fair it is. It just makes sense because Grandal was, of course, their last catcher. But when you combine him with more playing time for Pena, I'm not sure that's the latter part of that equation is a bad thing at all. When you when you look at what he's been able to do over. His, uh, over his career, and we know he's the superior defender, uh, Manny Pena. So uh, combining it, I, I like the move of having that platoon, having that timeshare at catcher for you where you have the, the clear starter in Omar Narvaez and then the, the capable backup there. But just looking at it through Narvaez, I'm, I'm with you. I believe in his ability to hit, and we've talked about that skill a couple of times before, and so that's something that I can get down with. I like him as a hitter defensively. Long way to go still, but he's there. There's no denying his importance. Of course, he's top two, top three guy as far as the new guys go. Yeah, definitely an important part of the 2020 crew. We've got him at number two on our combined list. You mentioned he was a top your list. Came in at number four on mine, but I think within the first four, especially, I would be compelled to move those guys around uh, in a pretty fluid way. Uh, number three on our combined list is a guy we seem to agree about in terms of his importance. It's Josh Lindblom. Uh, I think I had him at three. You had him at four. So he comes in right here as the third most important player acquired this offseason. I think it's a an open question. Anytime you have a player coming in from a foreign league, whether it's Korea and the KBO, whether it's Japan and NPB, uh, you know, how well do the things that that player did to have success overseas, how well will those translate against big league competition in more hitter-friendly environments against the best competition in the world? With Josh Lindblom, the contract is certainly one that is very team-friendly. There's not a major commitment there. If it doesn't work for him as a starter. He ends up in the bullpen. It's not uh, a deal that messes up the Brewers in the future. There's there's no real downside there. What do you think happens when things pick up with Lindblom? Do you think he can find some success maybe as a mid-rotation type starter? I mean, he was winning the equivalent of the Cy Young Award in the KBO, so that type of expectation is not fair, but is he the kind of guy that comes in and, and maybe replaces someone like Chase Anderson effectively? I think so. I think that's a great comparison because Limbloom is a lot to be made. There was a lot like sort of made out about, okay, like his, his pitching arsenal and how he picked up the, picked up the, the, the split finger in Korea 
and he did, but it's not discussed enough at all, really, just how cerebral he is as a pitcher, too, where this is a guy who, who just loves pitching and understands the sequencing of knowing what you're going to do a couple of, a couple of steps ahead of the hitter or, or the batter who's in the box every single time. And that's something that he does. I'm, the biggest thing for me is that he has so many pitches at his disposal. He's going to have to understand and, and learn, I guess, at the major league level when to go with what's working and how to sprinkle in the other stuff and then when to ditch what maybe isn't working as hard as that may be because perhaps you want to utilize it or incorporate it into your game plan. Sometimes you just have to know what's working for you and what's not. I think that may be the biggest adjustment that he has to make in coming back to the major leagues with an improved and extended arsenal. But I I like him a lot. I, I feel like when you said mid-rotation, that's when my ears perked up a little bit because I feel like at least that's what they signed up for. He could provide more and he could provide a little bit less where he falls back into maybe um, a guy who posts numbers that are more in line when you think about like a number four or a number five or somebody who's sort of teetering on that status between being in the rotation and not. But I don't know. I, I, I yeah. He's such a smart dude, man. He's so he's so mature with his approach. I feel like he has learned a lot. Maybe I'm buying into all that too much, but aside from just the the changes that you could see with his fastball that you could measure, the addition of the split finger, I just like where I just like his mind and there's a lot that makes me a fan of his and a lot that makes me believe that he could be that mid-rotation guy because I feel like that's not asking too much of him no i i don't think it's it's out of the question that he reaches that level i think it's it's in the range of outcomes it's everything going right and i think sometimes we also see pitchers come either back from a foreign league or they come over for the first time and initially they have their greatest success and the league eventually kind of figures out what they bring to the table comes up with a game plan and counter adjustments maybe are a little harder to come by and they level off as something a bit less than what they were when they first arrived. I, I could see a scenario like that. I mean, I think we saw that with Miles Michaelis of the Cardinals, his first season coming back from Japan when he pitched in St. Louis was the best season uh, we've seen from him so far. So I, I look at things like that and think, okay, like we might get more than we expect. If we expect maybe a four ERA, 120 whip, a guy that consistently can go five, maybe six innings per start, that's right around like the Chase Anderson bar. I mean, I think that's sort of what he needs to be in order to keep the Brewers rotation at least at a level that it was at a year ago. And if he can do more than that, it's obviously a lift for the pitching staff as a whole. Uh, Lindblom is interesting too, though, because uh, he did change up his pitch mix during his time in South Korea. So that the last time we saw him in the big leagues, he was a completely different pitcher. So we got to keep that in mind as well. Uh, Justin Smoke comes in fourth on our combined list. Uh, I think you had him a little higher than I do. I think he's important. I think the only reason I didn't push him up higher is because in the event that he struggles, if the Brewers need to go out and acquire uh, you know, a big side platoon masher to play first base, I think that type of player is generally 
an easy player to acquire in season. I think there are a lot of non-contending teams that have a similar player to the skill set that Smoke has. Uh, so that makes him less critical because if it goes wrong, he's more replaceable, which isn't his fault. That's just the way the game works and the, the low acquisition cost of a, a mashing first baseman sort of opens that door. But uh, what did you see from from Smoke this spring and uh, how much do you think they're going to rely on him? Because as we've talked about a bit on this pod, you know, Ryan Braun is taking some reps at first base back in the spring and with Garcia around, Braun may have to play a little more first base if they're going to have Yelich and Kane and Garcia all in the lineup together. Sure, but that's like one of those things where I believe it when I see it and I, I'll believe him playing Ryan Braun that is playing a, a decent amount of games at first base when it starts to happen. Otherwise, I look at it as something that's like in the abstract of like a, a theory. Like, okay, yeah, in theory we could play Ryan Braun here, but I, I ha- we've never we haven't seen it actually happen. So I'm a little hesitant to go all in and say they're they're going to. Um, I, I understand that's the idea and that that's penciled in as what the plan is, but I'd like to see it actually happen before I could say I could sort of compartmentalize that and say, okay, smokes value decreases a little bit because Ryan Braun's here and he could play first and he could play it adequately enough. Um, so that's kind of the reason why smoke appeared a little bit higher on my list is that there's there there are reasons why smoke is on the big league roster and a guy like Logan Morrison wasn't. Um, smoke, I think, is better defensively than he's given credit for, particularly in some defensive metrics where he doesn't show up quite as high but if you if you watch him play he does make some plays that sort of make you second guess that stuff or or just makes you look at it as okay this guy isn't horrible at first pace like he 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 can move um he he could move laterally he could do some things at first but obviously he's known as the power source and i don't know man i just look at it like if he's going to give you say high 20s or 30-something home runs. That's probably more than a lot of guys in that lineup car are able to give you. Um, so I, I just look at it as he's going to, he's expected to carry a load or, or do some things that other people in that lineup just aren't going to do for you. So that, that's why he was higher on my list than, um, than maybe some other guys or, or maybe higher than where he was slotted on yours. I mean, there's a lot of, volatility in his year-over-year production. If you look at his five-year stint with the Blue Jays, you see a few really low batting average seasons, including a 208 from last year. Low average brings down the OBP a bit, but he has been among the league leaders in walks each of the last two seasons, so he does get on base at a good clip. The underlying power still pretty apparent. A 90.3 average exit velocity last year is is good. It's not elite, but it's very good. Uh, 11% barrel rates. This is a guy who does a lot of damage when he connects and the strikeout rates have actually been trending in the right direction overall. If you look at the last five years from a kind of a broad perspective, whereas the beginning of that five year stretch, he was in the upper twenties, even in the low thirties with his K rate, he's been closer to 20% in two of the last three seasons, including a 21.2% strikeout rate a season ago. So definitely a guy that I think is going to play a lot even though he switch hits, I still see him as more of a guy that's a big side platoon bat as opposed to someone who's in the lineup each and every day. If you're bored in the house, 
bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag at $39 value and the patented high-performance, anti-chafing, Manscaped boxer brief. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. All right, well, a few more players acquired this offseason to talk about, and the one that we disagreed about the most in terms of 2020 importance is Luis Urias. He came in at number two on my list, came in at number eight on your list. I guess I want to make the case for him first, and you can let me know why I'm probably wrong. But I think Luis Urias, for people who really weren't familiar with him at all and before the Brewers traded for him and really haven't had a chance to get to know him because he's been hurt for most of the spring, he is the type of player who, two years ago, would have been ranked either next to, or maybe even ahead of, Keston Hira on a lot of prospect lists. And with Urias, we're talking about a guy that defensively could actually handle shortstop. He wasn't asked to do it in San Diego because they have another outstanding prospect, Fernando Tatis Jr., who's basically a franchise player for them. So Urias was kind of locked in at second base, and he was always a hit tool first player. And over time, as he moved to the upper levels of the minor leagues, he started to hit the ball in the air a lot more often last year in particular and unlocked some power. The brief tastes of the big leagues so far have not gone well. But we're talking about a guy who's only 22, he'll turn 23 during the first week of June. And last season, he hit 23 home runs between AAA and the big leagues from the middle infield. He walks, he doesn't strike out a lot, and it just seems like he's getting to an approach now that is allowing him to become a very dynamic player up the middle. He can steal a few bases as well. Just a really well-rounded player. Maybe I'm getting too caught up in long-term value, and, and that's why 2020 impact is where he gets dinged. But uh, what about the makeup of this roster makes you believe that Urias maybe isn't quite as important for 2020 as I think he is? Yeah, all those things you listed are all the, all the reasons why I put him as like probably my number two right behind Garcia as guys who just overall I'd be the most excited about as far as the newest acquisitions go because there's a lot of excitement with him, rightfully so. I, I like him for all those same reasons, but for me, it's why he was so low on my list was just because of the 2020 aspect of that question because... There's a guy gets a little bit forgotten about. Orlando Arcia is still on this team, and and for me, that's a guy who could who could play some shortstop. And he got off to a really good start in spring training. Um, play some shortstop. I mean, he could play some shortstop as far as defensively. Um, 
he's he's pretty good there. So I like him offensively in spring training. He got off to a really hot start. So it sort of made you think, or I don't want to say believe, but it made you think that, okay, maybe things could be a little bit different. Um, I'm not completely sold on that, but the idea is that he's still there. And so when you look at it just in 2020, Urias is a guy who still has to prove it at the major league level. And when he's in that situation where, yeah, he he uh, came back and posted some good minor league numbers late in the year last year, still has to prove it at the major league level, and you have some company at that position, for me, that's why it's like, okay, as far as impact goes, maybe he does reach the top three or four as at the end of the season. He's capable of that, but heading into it, I dock him a little bit just because of the idea that I'm looking at it just through the lens of 2020, and he has that company at that position, and you have a couple of other guys who could slide over there in a pinch too, who who are already on the roster, um, a Sogard or a Brock Holt. Yeah, I think some of the veteran depth in the infield could make things complicated for Urias if Arcia is hitting at all like he was back during Cactus League play. The other wrinkle I think here is I think Urias has come up a few times as a possible solution at third base. You know, if there's a path for Urias to play in the infield with Orlando Arcia and Keston here, a third base would be that spot. So uh, we didn't really get a chance to see him play this spring because of that wrist injury that he suffered during the winter. He was going to make his spring debut on the Thursday when things started to get shut down. There was a rainout in Arizona that day with this extra time to rest. I mean, it's been almost two months since that shutdown occurred. I would assume that Urias enters this season completely healthy once things begin to pick back up. So where he kind of appears in in spring games or inter-squad games or whatever we get prior to the season, that might shed some light on how exactly the Brewers are going to try and make those pieces fit. So usage could be a concern for sure. Uh, We mentioned some of the veterans kind of in passing there. Eric Sogard comes in next on our list. I think he's a little more important to this team than he probably should be, which it kind of feels like I'm I'm cutting on him a little bit. I I don't really mean it that way, but he had a quietly good 2019 season uh, split between Toronto and Tampa Bay. I look at Sogard and and think that the 2018 numbers of the Brewers is probably an outlier. I know there was some stuff going on for him off the field that year as well. If you look at 2017, it looks a lot like 2019 without the power. So do you look at Sogard and say, okay, we're probably not getting the equivalent of 13 home runs in 110 games from him, but we're getting a guy who's versatile. We're getting a guy that takes a lot of good at bats and gets on base at a really high clip. Sure, yeah. He's a guy who could bat leadoff for you, or could bat behind Kane, or could bat toward the bottom of the order, do his thing. Um, there's a lot to like with Sogard. He can play a bunch of different positions for you. But um, for me, yeah, I agree that he's kind of on on that wavelength of, okay, he's probably a little bit more important to the Brewers than he would be maybe on a different team. Um, but you still also have Brock Holt, and I don't know. I, it, there's like a cluster of those infielders where it's like, I think the point of it is, is that why they have so many is that they don't really necessarily want any of those guys to be all that much more important than the other one. Like that, go, that would go beyond what they've tried to build. Right. Well, I think the other 
thing about this too is just the fact that this is a team that did not have good depth a year ago. That became very apparent when Hernan Perez was DFA'd. Not having players who had minor league options left was really important. And a lot of the guys who fit that bill are not players we're talking about in this episode. But even within the big league roster, I think there's a lot more flexibility now to move players around defensively and to account for some of the shortcomings that the roster had a season ago. Sogard definitely represents that. But what percentage of games... Do you think he starts? We don't know how many games they're going to be. Like, if you had to project it for the entire season, Eric Sogard starts blank percentage of the Brewers games in 2020. Well, that's a great question. Off the top of my head, we've talked about this one, right? With at third base with Jed Jericho, because Jericho's a guy who, if he gets off to a pretty hot start, it'll be hard to take him out of the lineup, and he'd be a guy that could therefore then bat against both right-handers and left-handers if that's the case and so therefore he, t- he would theoretically take away starts from Sogard uh, so that's kind of that sort of has to enter into the equation a little bit in thinking out loud and trying to answer the question but I'm not convinced that necessarily happens um, I, I put it at I put it as high myth uh, going back and forth uh, I'm gonna go 65 percent okay 65 percent so two-thirds that, that's a yeah. a healthy number of starts and that that probably means that most of that playing time either comes at third base or at a different infield position if there's an injury or two but third base seems like the most likely source of that playing time right now i assume that means you have jed jerko getting 35 ish percent of the playing time i mean do you see that as a straight platoon with those two players it's hard to say i think initially yeah you do where where you you know when Jerko's going to be in the lineup there. Uh, try try to hit against left-handed pitching, I guess. Right? I mean, yeah, I guess that's kind of how you kind of go into it initially. But Jerko's the kind of guy that has the history, and like I said before about Smoke, Jerko's a guy that could bring a, a source of power that otherwise you wouldn't be getting at that position. So. Yeah, I, I going into it, I, I sort of see it as uh, more of a sort of fifty-fifty, but maybe closer to probably closer to sixty-forty with Sogar getting more of it. Yeah, I, I definitely see that favoring Sogard initially, and it would take some things that are somewhat unexpected for the playing time to flip in Jerko's favor. But I don't think it's impossible. I, I think. Jed Jerko is a little bit undersold as a guy that can hold his own against righties, even though he does so much of his damage against left-handed starters. Uh, Sogard was sixth on our list, by the way, out of the 11 off-season acquisitions on the big league roster. Jed Jerko was eighth. Uh, Brett Anderson was kind of stuck in between them at seven. Uh, what did you see from Brett Anderson this spring? And I, We know the main issue for him in the past has been health. He's coming off of a very healthy season with the Athletics in 2019, 176 innings, second highest total of his career. It was his best total since, I think, 2015 with the Dodgers. And those were good innings last year, too. I mean, we're talking 176 innings of sub-4 ERA. He does it with a low strikeout rate. He gets a ton of outs on the ground. How do you see Anderson fitting in on the 2020 Brewers? I worry for him on the Brewers just because, like you said, 
he gets so many ground balls where you need a defense behind this guy. And so I just remember it may have been his first, it may have been the first spring training game. I think it actually was, now that I think about it. So long ago, right? It's like you're going back into the memory <laughs> bank. of like, oh, yeah, there was a spring training and there were some sort of games played. But it may have been the first game where he's on the mound and he's getting a lot of weak contact. But it ends up being a game where he, he allows a few runs in a couple of innings. And if you were just looking at the stat line and you say to yourself, okay, like what went wrong here? It was really nothing. He pitched really well, I thought. Had some good movement with his fastball was placing it where he wanted it to be. Everything looked good to me from watching him pitch, it, but it was just guys couldn't make plays behind him in that. And that was sort of like an omen for me. I was like, ooh, uh, this could ha- this is going to happen a couple of times because we know that Keston here is still a work in progress at second base. And as much as I think that smoke is better than his numbers indicate at first he's still not great and so that right side of the infield uh, i don't know about it and then the left side rc is good at short of course and i haven't seen enough of urias to to really know one way or the other how i feel about it and then third base kind of depends on who's playing there but i mean i don't know i I don't know if the defense is going to be as good as it needs to be behind him for him to really have a a big season, assuming that he's healthy, or a season in line with what he was able to do last year. I think there's a little bit of a drop-off expected. Yeah, the quality of the A's infield defense uh, compared to the current iteration of the Brewers' defense, pretty big difference, really. Uh, Matt Chapman is elite, like a platinum-glove defender at third base. Marcus Simeon became a gold-glove defender at shortstop. Matt Olson's a good defender at first. I mean, they have a good outfield defense as well, which, again, Brad Anderson's a ground baller, but they just have a great defense overall, and they're particularly strong around the infield where the Brewers probably uh, are below average at this point until they prove otherwise. Uh, so I think he's one of those guys where they look at him as someone who's in the back of the rotation to begin the season. I don't know if he necessarily finishes in the back, but he kind of reminds me of the Wade Miley acquisition two years ago where you have this guy he doesn't miss a ton of bats but gets enough weak contact to make it work and if he's healthy he might actually be more effective than a lot of people expect him to be Uh, we mentioned Jerko at eight Brock Holt comes in at number nine on our list I I think this one's pretty simple Will we're talking about a, a versatile player most of his time in Boston last season came at second base because that was the greatest area of need but He can play everywhere. He can play both outfield corners. He can play all four infield spots. Uh, Pretty much anything but catcher and center field. And I'm imagining in a true pinch, you could throw Brock Holt in center field and he probably wouldn't embarrass himself out there. Uh, The bigger question, I guess, as it pertains to Brock Holt is, is he a glue guy or is he actually a little bit more? I think the hope is probably that he's the former, where he's just depth on the bench who can do anything as needed and as a lefty he's a bit more of an asset as a pinch hitter than a guy like Hernan Perez would have been a year ago as a righty yeah they were a little bit vulnerable behind Keston here at second base where if if you were to go down or if he were to have missed a, a decent chunk of playing time not sure where you would have needed to go there um and how that would have had a an impact elsewhere for you, so Brock Holt becomes that guy where 
he could play second base where he's he, he would be that substitute right away. So that's sort of like the role that he plays in addition to the other hats that he could wear for you. So yeah, no surprise with where he's placed. Important in the sense that he does so many things for you that there, there's nobody in that super utility role who's quite as good as fulfilling those things. But again, he doesn't necessarily have uh, anything beyond that role that you described. So yeah, he, his placement on the list makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I think he's a nice addition for depth, but not a guy that comes in and makes a, a massive impact day over day. It might be the kind of guy that comes through with a few clutch plays over the course of the season, though, and ends up being uh, important in the moment, I guess would be the way I would describe it. Uh, Eric Lauer comes in at number 10 on this list, which I think says a lot about the top half of the group and probably that he's more of a a long-term acquisition. He's going to be under club control for several years, so he's a guy the Brewers are going to have a chance to kind of mold their own way. He was working on a change-up this spring, and in his first two big league seasons, Eric Lauer hasn't really shown a great put-away pitch yet. Throws a lot of fastballs. I think he mixes in some cutters. He has a curveball. The changeup is like a minus 5% pitch for him. It's a very seldomly used offering. But we're still talking about a relatively young, left-handed starting pitcher who was a first-round pick of the Padres back in 2016. So I'm curious to see what the Brewers turn him into. But I think he's a guy that might be kind of shuttled on and off the roster, whatever that looks like this year. If we don't have a normal minor league season, maybe he's a taxi squad sort of guy. I think he's going to pitch some innings for the Brewers, but it might be more in long relief or as a spot starter, depending on what the schedule looks like. Yeah, and plus there's Freddie Peralta around, and we have Corbin Burns on this roster as well. And like you mentioned, with the size of the season, you don't know exactly what those three guys are going to be asked to do for you and so uh, he, he's part of that group and therefore that's why he is listed where he's listed on this list but yeah he, he's a guy who it's sort of a little bit hard to get too excited about just because like you mentioned the the put away pitch just hasn't shown itself quite yet in his career I will say that he pitched really well in the spring and he had a fire under him it looked like knowing exactly where he stood in the competition in the context of the Brewers season for for what it meant in 2020 a couple of months ago so we'll see um I think if this was a 162 game season I'd probably place him a little bit higher than where I have him uh just because he was sort of the favorite to to win a role in the rotation, but right now I, I just don't know exactly what his role will be, and I, you don't know how they'll utilize him, Peralta, and Burns. Yeah, I think that's that's the key thing that you, you hit on there. In a longer, a full-length season, his importance would probably be greater from the start. It could get there with the right mix of uh, struggles and, and injuries, potentially. you know, The role he's asked to fill could become a more prominent one if things break a certain way, hopefully for the sake of the health of people in front of him, it doesn't happen because of injuries. But uh, definitely an interesting guy that I would want to watch closely regardless of his role just to see what kinds of changes he's making in addition to working on that change up earlier this spring. Uh, David Phelps rounds out our list. I think this says more about just being 
kind of a middle reliever or seventh inning guy potentially than anything else. I mean, with Hader and Corey Knable expected to be the two highest leverage relievers, I think Phelps is just a, a steady veteran who a few years ago put together a really nice season for the Marlins. It was in 2016. Uh, we'll see what he's able to do workload-wise when things ramp up again, but probably more of just a, a source of depth in a bullpen that you know lost Junior Guerra, and perhaps they could replicate Guerra or something with Phelps. Yeah, if he's healthy, if he's pitching well, then the game could really shorten with him, uh, Corey Knebel, and Hader, a couple of other guys too. So that's where his value lies. But yeah, it's hard for me to place him too much higher. Even if the season is shorter, I don't know how many games he's going to be able to pitch for them. And I don't know, how, like, what would be the percentage of games that he pitches versus a, versus a starting pitcher, and, and how you determine the worth, the weight of of and the worth of both of those things. For me, it would probably be a little bit comparable to a to a Lauer or whoever that back end ro- rotation guys are. So yeah, with uh, Knable healthy and back. Assuming that he's he would be by the time the season starts, that lessens the um, importance, I guess, of Phelps. Just because you also have a bunch of other uh, right-handed relievers, guys with big strikeout numbers potentially in that bullpen as well. They don't have the production and they don't have the experience as as Phelps has had in his career, but they're there. Um, they certainly have the potential for it. Yeah, I mean, I just I see him as a viable reinforcement but not necessarily an upgrade over previous members of the bullpen. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Brewers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Brewers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, Will, at the top, I mentioned that the Brewers have recently revealed their ticket policy for games that were scheduled for March and April. Um, opening day, for anybody who has an opening day ticket, that will still be an honored ticket whenever opening day at Miller Park happens in 2020. So keep that in mind if you still want to go to opening day once that is put on the schedule at some point this summer. Uh, but the big question that a lot of people were kind of wondering about is, can you get refunds? Can you actually get money back for those games if you don't want to uh, move them to uh, receive credits for future games? Yeah, you can. Um, as, as far as I understand the, the situation, you have to look into it and you have to contact somebody who's working in the ticket office, somebody that uh, is a rep there for you. So it's not something that's clearly stated in, from what I could tell in the emails that were sent out but it's it's an option that exists for you you just have to kind of go through the process of it a little bit on your own to kind of then get to somebody who could help you out with it right so if you did buy a package of tickets through a ticket representative or an account executive uh, you can reach out to that 
representative and get things taken care of to your liking. The email address the Brewers put out is tickets at brewers.com. So if you have other questions, you can do that. Uh, they did make a note to say that if you bought your tickets on StubHub or on secondary market, that those actually have to be addressed through the point of purchase. So the Brewers can't handle any requests for tickets purchased on StubHub or a secondary market. So keep that in mind as well. Uh, if you bought single game tickets and you paid cash, you can actually bring the tickets to the Miller Park box office for an exchange or options, probably including the refunds, when the ticket office reopens for business. I don't think there's any timetable for that to happen yet, so just keep that in mind. So um, the other thing that's happening too, I think if you're a season seat holder, and that includes uh, mini packs like 4 and 10 games or 20, 40 full seasons, you get an account credit equal to the purchase value of the tickets and parking plus a 10% bonus credit. So those credits can be used towards 2020 single-game ticket and parking purchases or could be applied to the 2021 season invoice. And again, uh, your account executive in that case, you'll, you'll have somebody, is the best way to go to straighten all that out. So for those curious, that's the lay of the land as far as how the tickets for March and April go. I would imagine that similar policies will be introduced at the end of May for any and all games in May. I Will, I don't think we're going to see a baseball game that counts in America in May. I think that'd be just a little too optimistic at this point. So uh, stay tuned for more information on that. But if you are missing baseball and if you want to watch live baseball, there is another league that is starting up in South Korea. The KBO, the Korean baseball organization will have its opening day on Tuesday. And yes, that is the league we talked about earlier. Josh Lindblom pitched there. From 2015 to 2019, Eric Thames was there for three years, uh, tore up that league as a member of the NC Dinos. Former Brewers Tyler Saladino and third-round pick from 2011 Drew Gagnon are currently in the KBO, so they will be a part of it. And I believe as uh, we just started recording, ESPN has worked out a deal to broadcast these games. So there will actually be live baseball happening on TV in America in really a matter of hours yeah and espn is saying six days a week so that's uh that's awesome <laughs> that's pretty cool that's a that's a nice jump from nothing <laughs> yeah that's a huge huge deal i mean this, this was going on negotiation i think it'd been going on for a few weeks now um, so it came down to the wire but there will be korean league baseball games on tv uh, we had dan kurtz on the podcast back in december after the Brewers signed josh lindblom at MyKBO on Twitter. MyKBO.net is his site. I would highly recommend giving him a follow and checking him out if you want to know all things about the league. Uh, it is really, I don't know, it's just kind of a, a sign of progress. I know it's a much smaller country and the pandemic and just how things have, have passed through South Korea just in the general timeline. They had things hit earlier, so they're able to kind of move through it and get to this point it it just gives me hope that there's some light at the end of the tunnel that there is at least a chance that we see major league baseball maybe even a good chance that we see major league baseball at some point later on this summer yeah 100 percent. and hopefully we see it continue uh with, with the kbo and it'll be interesting to see just what their guidelines are how they are how they are put into practice and so this could be something that maybe Major League Baseball could could look at and 
build their own guidelines from a little bit, or at least take away some things that appear to be working. Absolutely. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you are looking for a subscription to The Athletic, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash 422. If you're thinking about a subscription, maybe uh, money is a little harder to come by right now. Totally understandable given the circumstances. You can get a free 90-day trial at theathletic.com slash free 90 days. If you got questions that you'd like us to answer on a future episode, send those our way via Twitter. We're happy to take mailbag questions anytime those come about. And if you're enjoying this podcast and listen to it on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We greatly appreciate it. It's one of the ways that people can find out about the show for the first time if it's getting lots of good ratings and reviews on iTunes and elsewhere. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.